Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. so loud. Was it? Sorry, baby. I forget you have headphones on there. I do. I do. I'm also watching the little meter and, and you scream and I watch it. I like, oh, that's not the volume that we tested at. That spiked what? us real good. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about how everyone listening to this episode just cringed. Can you hear the sparkles? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Oof. It, it kind of sounds a little bit like static, but yeah, you can definitely hear the sparkles. I just opened up Kava, which I didn't even know we had in the basement. I think I bought it a long time ago. Um, hi, everyone. It's our 100th episode. Uh, I discovered what Kava is doing a champagne tasting with my sister on the Joy when she was visiting and learned that Kava is just Spanish Prosecco. I mean, it's, it's Spain's version of the sparkling wine. Right, because um, every country has their own because you're not allowed to call it champagne. It's not champagne unless it's from champagne. We learned a lot. And uh, the amazing sommelier on the ship named Yulia, who's from the Ukraine, first of all, one of the most amazing, joyous freaks I've ever met. I love her. Um, so if you're listening, Yulia, we love you. Uh we did this blind champagne tasting. So we tasted like this really bougie stuff. And then, but the one we started with was Kava on the ship and they up, they upsell stuff on the ship. It was $29 and I got 50% off. So one of the cheapest things I could buy on the ship and it was delicious. So cheers to some Kava. Yay. Clink. Yay. (laughs) That was some Foley work there. That was, but we are back together. In Iowa City, we're still in Back Iowa in City. Back in Iowa, where it all began. Where it all started. I'm sitting on the couch, and is it good? Ooh, that's really tasty. I like that. Oh, yeah. Kava oh, for the win. Um, but yeah, we're back, and uh, we missed last week because I was in the process of recovering from eight months on a boat. Um, yeah. So I lost she- my voice. I, my neck went out. I've been kind of a, a disaster since didn't, I got back. Didn't sleep very much. No, because um, my neck went out. Been seeing a chiropractor in town again. They're they're cracking me good. Um, but yeah, we were like, let's not record our 100th episode when I literally... So I was very good at taking care of my voice on the ship because as I mentioned, and I'm sure Ken has mentioned, I was doing a Broadway cabaret, um, which was quite vocally demanding. And we did it twice a week. So I was very, very good. The entire contract of taking care of myself. And uh, the last two weeks, we burned the freaking candles at both ends, all of us, because we had shore leave in Bermuda. And most of us had never been there. So we were just go, 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 going. And oh my gosh. But that last week, I don't know how we all did that show, but it actually was really good. And then we just blew our voices out like the last night. And I was like, I don't want to record when I literally was like, (laughs) 
I mean, it could have been fun. It would have been really fun. Um, I would not have been able to do many voices. <laughs> Let's just say that. My, my range. Yeah, so all of your men would have just been Johnny Cash and all of your women would have been Johnny Cash. Yes, yes. It would have not been the most, uh, most exciting. And I couldn't move my head at the time either. So it would have been a very awkward recording. Session. Yeah, so thank you, Dr. D, for fixing the neck. Yeah, Dr. D. My new chiropractors, I hope they're listening. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure they get this episode. Yes. A chiropractor office in Iowa City, or it's actually in Coralville, and Ken and I have decided it would make an amazing like Netflix series because all three of the doctors that work there are like model hot. <laughs> uh, it is, it, to be fair, it is two doctors and one chiropractic yes, yes, assistant. Sorry, yes. Because he's he does like the uh, nutrition. He's like their nutritionist yeah. and stuff. Um, but we walked in and we saw these three guys, and I'm like, we're like sitting there in the lot in a in the lobby waiting, and each guy that walks out, we're like, what the hell? It, it felt a little bit like, um, I've seen this porn. Yep. <laughs> I know where this goes from here. Why don't you come back and I'll crack your back? <laughs> Thanks, Doctor D <laughs> and Colin. And now everyone can look them up. Dr. D and Dr. C. <laughs> Dr. D and Dr. C. Yeah, there it is. That's good. Um, but yeah, we're back and Ken is about to leave. So. About to leave again. Uh, although, fortunately, I will be staying on solid ground. Mm-hmm. Um, terra firma. Uh, so I should have internet and there won't be the confusion of... <laughs> there will not be a, a boat keeping us apart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, also, that just means that... Um, now, as much fun as I would have just being a listener, it means Heather will not be forced to find a co-host and record for six months on her own. Which I would be happy to do if I needed to, but I will say that it was better that it was Ken because he also is, <laughs> you know, the major technology person behind this podcast. So, um, I don't <laughs> yeah, although I do, I look forward to you taking over the social media again. Yes, I will be back on the social media front. So... Though you've been doing good. I like the graphics you've been doing. Thank you. Whenever I did have internet, I would see them. See what we got. Like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's good. Um, huge shout out to Emily and to Craig and to Jamie and to Kim. And to Kim and Torin. And Torin. Um, anybody who guest hosted uh, with Ken, thank you so much. Uh, you're all rock stars and you are officially part of Campfire Classics. Yeah. Uh, so Emily just, I believe yesterday. Opened Or the show. day before, just this weekend. This weekend. Opened um, Steel, Steel Magnolias. Magnolias. Uh at Creed, where at, I have worked. At Creed. Um, I believe Torin is getting ready to spend a summer in St. Louis performing in In the Heights. Nice. Um, and my mom just tested positive for COVID. Sorry, Jamie. So um I'm uh, but I am happy to report that the the worst seems to be behind her. She had one really bad day and now she's yeah. on the upswing yeah. and improving. Yeah. And Craig's playing his music. Craig's playing his music. Kim's living in New York. Planning a wedding. That's right. That's right. She is planning yep. a wedding. Uh, so, um, so thank you all for for helping us get through the craziness that was the last six months. Uh, hopefully, we are back to 
business as usual or business as intended. Business I don't know as how, intended. I like that. I, I don't know how usual things ever were around here. I don't here. think we are very usual. I think that um, we are very unusual, which is why people listen to this chaos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm hoping that with Heather back at the forefront of our social media and communications, we can get a couple people in for some true crimes and a lie because yes. I've got uh, at least two episodes worth of stories prepped. Okay. Um, so we can we can do a couple of those. Hopefully, you'll hear those in the next month or two. Um, I'll have to re-download Twitter on my phone. I actually <laughs> I deleted Twitter and TikTok. Well, like I unloaded it from my phone because they just didn't work on the ship. So they were just yeah. taking up space that I didn't need. So I just kind of unloaded them. So I will re-download Twitter um, so I can be my tweety self and I'm pretty glad to hear that Elon Musk will not be owning my soul um apparently <laughs> no did you hear he lost like 69 billion dollars in the last year yeah like Tesla like crashed or something. <laughs> uh, that sounds bad Tesla didn't crash um I'll bet a Tesla crashed I somewhere bet a Tesla crashed and that probably caused some like concern but. one Tesla crashed and it cost Elon Musk 69 billion dollars 69 billion dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> 69 <laughs> billion <laughs> just going for the unusual sure no i like it as we do uh we did just see dr strange so i'm feeling very unusual <laughs> yeah i checked out the new dr strange uh, which was my Manus first the movie theater experience that was not the only time i've seen a movie since covid hit was uh the cast of footloose we rented a theater um to see dune in tampa but that was very it was a small theater it was literally just like 21 of us in the theater so it didn't really feel like a movie theater experience um but this was the first time we went and i saw like a, a movie with general public around i promptly walked in and spilled half the popcorn because i don't function well in public anymore no it was very <laughs> it was very funny graceful I walked right into a chair. I was like, ah, um, and then the movie happened. And the, the dude with the big hair who was sitting right there looked over and laughed immediately. He was just like, oh, and I like swore immediately. I was like, oh, I'm in public. I should probably not. And then I was like, eh, if there's children in here, they're about to see Dr. Strange. They can handle the word fuck. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> in true Heather fashion, I walked into the room, made a scene, uh, made people uncomfortable, and then made them laugh. And then made them laugh. <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully. I don't know. I mean, they were laughing. The guy with the big hair laughed. No one was like, get out of here, you crazy hippie. Oh, that's the that's a job for next time is get someone to throw stuff. Throw stuff? Oh. Yeah. Like, I get out of here. Throw stuff. <laughs> get out of here, you damn hippie. Damn hippie. Damn hippie. Uh, so while I was road tripping this um, mm. Soon, soon we'll get around to what it is we actually do. But this yeah, is it's um, hundredth episode. We, this we is, have, and we have a lot to catch up on. This is Ken and Heather are together again, so we're we're doing some catch up. Um, while I was driving from North Carolina to Iowa, I made my last gas station stop. This story is um, fabulous. Pulled off in it was the last stop in Indiana just before getting to Illinois. Um, I drive in the little yellow beetle around. It's got all of our hippie liberal ass bumper stickers on the back of it. 
And what I'd been doing all the way across the country is going in and paying in cash for my gas because gas prices being what they are, oftentimes if you pay in cash, they'll give you a little bit of a discount. Pro tip, um, I did not know that. In, so. in North Carolina, it was often as much as 20 cents a gallon cheaper. That's crazy. Um, anyway, so I get out of the car, I pull in, pull up to the little gas pump thing, um, get out of the car, I walk in, and I walk in just in time to hear the lady behind the register say something about, um, yeah, the fucker in the hippie yellow beetle. Um, she was talking to her coworker, to the other person behind the counter. Um, clearly did not pay close enough attention to realize that I was the fucker in the hippie yellow beetle. Um, so I get in line and wait for, you know, wait for her to, uh, acknowledge me as she, she finishes, goes through the line, looks up at me and is like, Hey, what can I do for you? And I said, uh, yeah, I'll get uh, 50 bucks on pump number seven. It's the hippie yellow beetle. And she looked at me, her, her blood drained from her face. She looked at me, she looked out at the car, she looked at the register, she hit a couple of keys and she said, you're all good. So basically, moral of the story is watch what you say, which, you know, you always should. But really, the moral of the story is if you call people out on their bullshit, you get free gas. Yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. I love that story. I love that he got $50 of free gas. And the gas prices are so crazy right now. That's not, like that's a huge deal. That was that was a, a full tank. That's I mean, full, 50 I mean, bucks was a, the tank. That's a full tank yeah. on the Beetle. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. So if you're listening, lady, thanks for the free free gas. Thanks for the free gas. And uh, also, uh, hope you learned your lesson. Yeah. Life hacks. Life hacks by Campfire Classics. So, hey, listener, this is Campfire Classics, not a life hacks podcast and not usually just Ken and Heather bullshitting about what they've done for the last six months. Are you kidding? That's kind of what we do. <laughs> this is a literary comedy podcast where we take turns reading short stories that we take out of the public domain. We try to muddle our way through them as best we can, but we're reading them for the first time just as you're hearing them for the first time and listening to them for the first time so oftentimes the accents are strange choices the words don't necessarily make sense we will occasionally have to look up outdated or archaic language and we will frequently laugh at things that maybe weren't a penis joke when they were written but they certainly are now 69 billion <laughs> ejaculated <laughs> so often although as my brother pointed out a couple of weeks ago sometimes those penis jokes were penis jokes when they were written. Yeah, I mean, some <laughs> some authors were slyer than others. Some of them were, yeah, dirtier <laughs> yes. than others. Uh, but we choose stories out of the public domain because it's the best way to avoid getting sued. Yeah. And uh, this week, I have selected a story for Heather to read for our 100th episode. 100! Oh my lord! Ting, ting, ting. Let's like, uh, cheers. That didn't work very good. Here we go. I'll get the <laughs> It's like the saddest noise. How's this one work? <laughs> that one's not bad. Okay. Campfire Classics, where we test fully live and see how much of it Ken leaves in on. How in much will, will people hear this at home? All right, what am I? What am I reading today, Mister Sandberg? So before every story, uh, we like to read a few fun facts just to give you the listener and ideally the person reading a little bit of um, context 
uh, around well, what it like is they're going to be things. reading. And we like to learn things. This is an educational podcast as much as it is damn ridiculous. Yeah, okay. it's edutainment. Yeah, see. Um, but uh, this week is our 100th episode, and longtime listeners will be unsurprised that I have chosen an Agatha Christie story Yay, this week. I was hoping that's our muse. First time <laughs> listeners, that's because Agatha Christie is sort of our patron saint and the reason why we started this whole thing in the <laughs> first place. However, we've covered her a bunch, yeah. talking about everything from her days as a surfer girl to her mysterious disappearance and from her play The Mousetrap, holding the record for longest running play, uh, to the fact that she is the third best-selling author of all time, falling only behind Shakespeare and God. <laughs> the works of are Shakespeare. God wrote the Bible? The, the works of Shakespeare and the Bible are the only two things to sell better than her, and I just think it's funnier to say that she's third place behind Shakespeare, Shakespeare and God. God. I, I love that. I love that very much. Um, anyway, if you want to hear more details about her, you can go check out any of our previous episodes where we, uh, where we read her stories. There are a bunch of them. Basically, she's amazing. Yes. But I'm not going to talk about her much, as cool as she is. I am instead going to list shows that we are now better than because we made it to 100 episodes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we, we, we are very humble here at Camp yeah. <laughs> So we're going to start with Star Trek, the original series. Oh, damn. Which made it three seasons and only 79 episodes. Suck it, Trekkies. <laughs> <laughs> now, they did create an animated series a few years after the original series that had the voice actors. Most of the voice actors were the same actors who were in the original. Okay. That aired for 22 episodes, giving them a total of 101. But I don't think that really counts. It was a, it was a second attempt. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree, you know. Yeah. Um, but the moral of that story is we should assume that this podcast will be expanded into a multi-series universe with several movies. And Patrick in the Stewart works. will be and involved. In hopefully some point. Patrick Stewart and will Whoopi be involved. Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, so next we have The Jetsons. Oh yeah. Uh, it took The Jetsons 25 years to produce only 75 episodes. Oh my gosh, really? They ran three seasons, but it was spread out. Like the first one was in the 60s. Yeah. The second one was in the late 70s. The third one was in the early 80s. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember um, watching it in the 80s and those were not reruns necessarily. Yeah. And then yeah. there was a movie that came out in like 1990 that was the final episode. Oh. But over 25 years, they aired 75 episodes, which means mathematically they averaged three episodes a year. Lazy. So, Campfire Classics is better than Hanna-Barbera. Suck it, Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I love that both the first uh, uh, examples were space space stories. Sci-fi. Sci-fi yeah. space. Um, I, I intentionally did not include Firefly on this list because I felt well, it, was going, it was going a little sci-fi heavy. Well, and also Firefly got, got the shit into the stick. Yeah. Uh, well, many of many, many shows canceled yes. early did. Um, launching the careers of James Franco, Linda Cardellini, Seth Rogen, and Jason Segel, the show Freaks and Geeks oh. ran for a single 18-episode season. Yeah. Chappelle's show got 28 episodes in three seasons, mm -hmm. and one season of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip yielded 22 episodes. All of this means that Campfire Classics has managed a long run than Judd Apatow, Dave Chappelle, and Aaron Sorkin combined. Suck it, gentlemen. <laughs> <clears throat> um, 
This is obviously all absurd. No also, part of if me- any of you would like to collaborate on anything, you just give us a call. You just contact us on the website. Yeah, Dave Chappelle's <laughs> Campfire Classics. Oh my gosh, that would be a different episode. Um, Judd Apatow's, uh, Aaron Sorkin, you're welcome to come Aaron on. Aaron Sorkin's oh. Walk and Talk oh, of Campfire the walk Classics. Walk and Talk episode, amazing. We have to walk around a track the whole time we're reading. Oof. Carrying a torch because we can't just sit around a fire. No, I can't. Um, so obviously that's ridiculous. No part of me actually thinks that we are better than any of these shows just because we've released more material. Because among other things, by that reckoning, Guiding Light, with its 57 years and over 15,000 episodes, would be the best English language scripted bit of media ever. Guiding Light? Is it still on? No. Uh, okay. It ended, like, it, uh, I find, think it finally went off the air in like 2011 oh or something gosh, like that. Oh my gosh, that's um, unreal. <laughs> but yeah, it ran for 57 years oh and had like 15,600 something episodes. Um, anyway, I'll let you, dear listener, be the judge on whether or not that actually makes it the best TV series ever. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, One person we are definitely not better than is this week's author, Agatha Christie, who wrote 66 novels and somewhere around 155 short stories. The exact number varies by account. Badass lady. Uh, So we've still got some catching up to do with her. This week, you'll be reading one of her short stories called The Plymouth Express Affair. Oh. Which I don't think we've read before. No, it sounds like an affair that's going to happen on a train. That's (laughs) certainly what it sounds like. Um, Anyway, if we get into the story and I realize, oh, crap, we have read this one, I'll just pick a different story and we'll edit it to sound like I did that one in the first place. I don't remember this title. I I feel like I'd know that title very much. Uh, So that's what we're doing this week. Cool. Let's start this fire. Let's do it. Ooh, it's crackly. The Plymouth Express Affair by Agatha Christie. Alex Simpson, RN, stepped from the platform at Newton Abbott into a first-class compartment of the Plymouth Express. Registered nurse? I guess. (laughs) We're going to find out. I'm guessing it's like a British, like, we're going to find out. A porter followed him with a heavy suitcase. He was about to swing it up to the rack, but the young sailor stopped him. Oh, Oh, he's a sailor. Royal Navy. Royal Navy. Hey, see, she does a really good job of, like, correcting our stupidity. Context clues, yeah. Context clues. Yeah, it's, I do find that if I just shut up, my questions are usually (laughs) answered pretty quickly. Usually answered. If the the writer's good, they're going to fill in the blanks. Yep. Yep. No, leave it on the seat. I'll put it up later. Here you are. Thank you, sir, the porter generously tipped (laughs) and withdrew. Uh, He tipped and withdrew. (laughs) The porter generously tipped withdrew. Withdrew. Yes, I know. I'm being dirty. Go with my penis joke. Got it, got it, got it. No, so he pulled out his generous tip. Yes, (laughs) and then withdrew. Hats off to your lady friends. Yeah, ding, ding. Generous tip. Doors banged, see? And then <laughs> we're going right into it. The man with the generous tip. The man. <laughs> that's a new, that's a whole new uh, <laughs> mystery novel right there. I think, I think that's the next Austin Powers movie. Austin Powers, the man, the man with, with the, the generous, generous tip. tip. <laughs> Wink. Ding dong. <laughs> Didn't even mean to make a sex joke there. All right, we're doing good. 
Doors banged. A sten... A stentorian? Stentorian. stentorian That's a word voice. we have looked up before. Have we? Yes. I don't while. remember what it means. So there you go. <laughs> but I know we've looked it up before. Loud and powerful. All right. Well, that helps. All right. Doors banged. A stentorian voice shouted, Plymouth only. Change for Torquay. Plymouth next stop. Torquay? Torquay. Torquay. That sounds Torquay. Then a whistle blew and the train drew slowly out of the station. Lieutenant Simpson had the carriage to himself. The December air was chilly and he pulled up the window. Then he sniffed vaguely and frowned. What a smell there was. It reminded him of that time in hospital and the operation on his leg. Yes, chloroform. That was it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's in that suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> have you um have you have you run across that one on the list of um, worst pickup lines ever? What? It's, so on the on on the list of like so when you when you're doing the game of like okay what's your worst pickup yeah. line what's your worst pickup yeah. line? One of my favorites that I've ever run across was hey come here does this smell like chloroform to you? Oh my god that's like the Ted Bundy pickup line <laughs> like, yeah. except it's not a pickup line. <laughs> oh my god if some guy did that to me I would like kick him in the balls and run away kick him in the tip and go bye bye <laughs> um we're gonna get your generous tip to swell a little bit <laughs> yep. bam. bam nope not the fun way all right so now we've got the royal navy officer uh um smelling chloroform yep. in his train that sounds good he let the window down again changing his seat to the one with its back to the engine he pulled a pipe out of his pocket and lit it for a little time, he sat inactive, looking out into the night and smoking. At last, he roused himself and, opening the suitcase, took out some papers and magazines, then closed the suitcase again and endeavored to shove it under the opposite seat without success. Some hidden obstacle. Re- oh no. Oh God. Oh no. Somebody got chloroformed and shoved under the oh, seat. Oh shit. Some hidden obstacle restrained it. He shoved harder with rising impatience, but it still stuck out halfway into the carriage. Why the devil won't it go in? <laughs> he muttered. Um, you can try just pushing harder, but in my experience, that's not the best way no, to work things out. A little patience, a little like, you know, uh, um tactical uh, uh, maneuvering and, yeah. you know, <laughs> easy. Anyway, um, some some grease, some, <laughs> some... Why the devil won't it go in, he muttered, and hauling it out completely, he stooped down and peered under the seat. A moment later, a cry rang out into the night, and the great train came to an unwilling halt in obedience to the imperative jerking of the communication cord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Mon- oh, no! <laughs> Poirot's here! Yes! Mon ami, said Poirot, you have, I know, been deeply interested in this mystery of the Plymouth Express. What? I guess, I guess, I guess. It's a, it, he's telling the story. We we have we have jumped locality we have by jumped the sound locale. of it. Okay, 
Mon ami, said Poirot, you have, I know, been deeply interested in this mystery of the Plymouth... Ex- I can't do his accent. I'm gonna- that, is, that is wildly not Belgian. <laughs> You're out of practice. Fuck me. You're out of practice. I just thought... Uh- out of practice? When have I ever been good at the French-Belgian accents? <laughs> Mon ami, said Poirot, you have, I know, been deeply interested in this mystery of the Plymouth Express. Read this. I picked up the note he flicked across the table to me. It was brief and to the point. Dear sir, I shall be obliged if you will call upon me at your earliest convenience. Yours faithfully, Ebenezer Halliday. The connection was not clear to my mind, and I looked inquiringly at Poirot. For answer, he took up the newspaper and read aloud. A sensational discovery was made last night. A young naval officer returning to Plymouth found under the seat of his compartment the body of a woman stabbed through the heart. Oh, that sucks. Oh, dear. So not chloroformed. Well, I'm guessing chloroform oh, probably was Probably chloroformed used, first, yeah. yeah for the, which is nice. I mean, at least he numbed her before. Or they numbed them. I I guess I I don't know if it was a woman or a man. The officer at once pulled the communication cord and the train was brought to a standstill. The woman, who was about 30 years of age and richly dressed, has not yet been identified. And later we have this. The woman found dead in the Plymouth Express has been identified as the Honorable Mrs. Rupert Carrington. You see now, my friend... Or, if you do not, I will add this. Mrs. Rupert Carrington was, before her marriage, Flossie Halliday, daughter of old man Halliday, the steel king of America. Her name was Flossie? Flossie. (laughs) That is a very uh, uh, theatrical-sounding name. Was she a redheaded actress? I hope she was a redheaded actress, and we find out she did it all along, and, you know... Flossie Halliday. All right, so so now her dad, yes, her dad has emailed or emailed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, her dad emailed Poirot real quick. <laughs> He's also a time traveler. Yeah. Um, so Ebenezer Halliday is Flossie's dad. All right, cool. And he's the steel king of America. And he has sent for you. Splendid. I did him a little service in the past. An affair of bearer bonds. And once, when I was in Paris for a royal visit, I had Mademoiselle Flossie pointed out to me. La jolie petite pensionnaire. The pretty little rich lady? (laughs) Pensionnaire. Jolie. Ah, pensionnaire. The pretty little boarder. Border as in a person who is boarding in a house. Okay, cool. So, la jolie petite pensionnaire. She had the jolie dot, too. What's a jolie dot? Little dot? Little... A dowry. Oh. She had a a pretty dowry, She had a pretty dowry, too. So, everyone was on after that. It caused trouble. (laughs) And nearly made a bad affair. How was that? A certain Count de la Rochefort, un bien mauvais. (laughs) I hate you, Poirot. I hate you so much. (laughs) Un bien mauvais sujet. 
a a good something a good Hang a, a, a good match um a good uh a very bad topic okay so he's he's just a bad he's a he's a bad egg kind of yeah. it's not, it's like uh, that's kind of what it translates to yeah so we Count don't, we don't like him de la rochefort is a is a dickwad a bad hat, as you would say. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there, there it is. See, context clues. Sometimes if you just shut up. <laughs> if you just shut up and read. <laughs> An adventurer, pure and simple, who knew how to appeal to a romantic young girl. Luckily, her father got wind of it in time. He took her back to America in haste. I heard of her marriage some years later, but know nothing of her husband. Hmm, I said. The Honorable Rupert Carrington is no beauty by all accounts. He'd pretty much run through his own money on the turf, and I should imagine old man Halliday's dollars came along in the nick of time. I should say that for a good-looking, well-mannered, utterly unscrupulous young scoundrel, it would be hard <laughs> to find his match. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so right, Hastings then. doesn't love this guy either? Nope, okay. not a huge fan. Ah, uh, poor little lady. Elle n'est pas bien tombé. Tombé par de beret. Yeah. Um, so literally, that is, uh, she didn't fall well, but I think what it means is it didn't go well for her. Yeah. Like she fell, like she fell for someone, but it didn't go well. Like yeah, it's like, kind of like, or, or like the, the dice didn't fall in her favor. Yeah. Kind the, of. It the, didn't, yeah. the affair did not go in her, in yeah. her favor. I knew that one though. Look at that, because Tom, Tom Bay, Bay Pot of Beret yep. is because yeah. the Tom Bay is is, is the, a fall. Is the fall? Yeah. <laughs> Look, ballet. I fancy he made it pretty obvious at once that it was her money and not she that had attracted him. I believe they drifted apart almost at once. I have heard rumors lately that there was to be a definite legal separation. Old man Halliday is no fool. He would tie up her money pretty tight. I dare say. Anyway, I know as a fact that the Honorable Rupert is said to have been extremely hard up. <laughs> There's a lot of dick jokes in here. <laughs> Aha, I wonder. You wonder what? My good friend, do not jump down my throat like that. You are interested, I see. Supposing you accompany me to see Mr. Halliday. There is a taxi stand at the corner. A very few minutes suffice to whirl us to the succumb house in Park Lane, rented by the American magnate. We were shown into the library, and almost immediately we were joined by a large, stout man with piercing eyes and an aggressive chin. <laughs> Mr. Poirot, said Mr. Halliday. <laughs> He's definitely from Texas. I guess I don't need to tell you what I want for you. You read the papers, and I'm never one to let the grass grow under my feet. <laughs> I happened to hear you were in London, and I remembered the good work you did over those bonds. Never forget a name. I've got the pick of Scotland Yard, but I'll have my man as well. Money, no object. All the dollars were made for my little girl, and now she's gone. I spend my last cent to catch the damn scoundrel that did it. See? So it's up to you to deliver the goods. I like that when we're reading these stories, your American accent becomes aggressively American. Well, he's a stout American businessman who is uh, made his, like, 
it made his fortune in steel. So I I, I have this. He's very blue collar, and yeah. I'm just going with Texas, right? <laughs> or somewhere su- southern. Poirot bowed. I accept, monsieur, all the more willingly that I saw your daughter in Paris several times. And now I will ask you to tell me the circumstances of her journey to Plymouth and any other details that seem to you to bear upon the case. Well, to begin with, responded Halliday, she wasn't going to Plymouth. She was going to join a house party at Avon Mead Court, the Duchess of Swansea's place. She left London by the 1214 from Paddington, arriving at Bristol, where she had to change, at 250. The principal Plymouth Expresses, of course, run via Westbury and do not go near Bristol at all. The 1214 does a non-stop run to Bristol, afterwards stopping at Weston, Taunton, Exeter, and Newton Abbott. This man really knows the trains. He knows his train schedule. Um, well, he's very, uh, I mean, I guess he makes steel, so he makes the railroad yeah. Uh, lines, so I guess he just he he likes trains. Well, and like I know my way around the New York subway station. Yeah, I guess I could, that's that's true. You know, it's just wow, he knows like the train around the entire country, and that's very impressive. Yeah, an entire country that he doesn't live in. That he doesn't live in at all. You know, mm-hmm. suspicious. Sus- she, she was a little dodgy Don't to me. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. <laughs> My daughter traveled alone in her carriage, which was reserved as far as Bristol, her maid being in a third-class carriage in the next coach. See, if you just let the maid sit with her in first class, she probably wouldn't be dead. The maid did it. Maid did it. (laughs) The maid did it. She was pissed that she was in the steerage cabin. (laughs) Uh, Nope, the body was misidentified. The corpse is the maid. Is the maid, and she's out! She's she's running away. She's running running away with the the scoundrel boyfriend. Red-headed actress. Da 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 da. That's my. All right. That's my guess. I'm, I'm into it. Either the maid did it or the maid is the dead person. Yep. Poirot nodded and Mr. Halliday went on. The party at Avon Mead Court was to be a very gay one. <laughs> oh, good. It was, a pride, it was a pride party. We do like a gay party. I mean, who doesn't love a gay party? It's June. It's Pride Month, everybody. Not yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. What time? It's May 30th. It's May 30th. It's oh, never mind. It it's almost Pride Month. Yep. 2 days. When this comes out, it'll be Pride Month. It's June 1st, right? Nope, May 31st. Damn it. Oh yeah, today's Monday. Today's Monday. I don't know days. I'm still on ship schedule. I don't know what day <laughs> belongs to what person and where and who and how. For and the most part, days don't belong to people. I want to own like Wednesday cuz it's hump day. Wednesday <laughs> Wednesday belongs to Odin. To like Odin as in like the god? Yes. Why? Because it's named after him. Oh. <laughs> so Wednesday is spelled Wednesday, mm-hmm. which is a bastardization of Woden's Day, okay. which is Odin's Day. Oh. Well, aren't all the days of the week actually technically named after gods and goddesses? Most of them. Uh, so Friday, they do belong to people. Friday is Fry's Day. Fry's Day uh, yes. Saturday is Saturn's Day. See, there yeah. it is. They do belong to people. Uh, Thursday. See, I was right. Thursday is Thor's Day. You you corrected me, and then now you've corrected yourself. Yeah, I I thought I was being clever. And- <laughs> I was just rambling, and I made more sense yeah. than I wanted to. Is what happened. I just, I just mic dropped myself. <laughs> How'd that feel? 
I can't decide if I feel really good about having that extra knowledge or really dumb about having just embarrassed myself. To be fair, um, uh, I think uh, you're usually the smarter one in the room. So the fact that I got I got a uh, 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 bleh, 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 that made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> but then you were the smartest person in the room because you actually knew you, you mic dropped yourself. I mic dropped myself. You, you self-corrected yourself. That was a self-own. Self-own. <laughs> smack, smack. All right. Uh, hey, you know what? That's how we become better people. It is how we become <laughs> you gotta, better people. You got to hold yourself accountable. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Where were we? They're going to a gay party. That's that's where that's we started. Right. We're off to a gay party. We're headed We're headed to Marie's Crisis. We're heading to Marie's Crisis. <laughs> yes. Sing along time. Oh, it's a very gay one with several balls, by the way. <laughs> Well, they typically are. <laughs> oh, it's good. Mr. Halliday went on. The party at Avon Mead Court was to be a very gay one with several balls. And in consequence, my daughter had with her nearly all her jewels, her family jewels, apparently, amounting in value perhaps to about $100,000. <laughs> Damn. Damn, damn, damn. That's not something you just carry around to parties. That seems silly. That's what I carry around to parties. I knew it. <laughs> $100,000 worth of jewels? Yeah, that's what I'm... If the, well, it's why I don't like going to parties. That's true. That's true. You like to stay home and, yeah. and play with your jewels. I like to play with my jewels <laughs> you, at home. You like to play with your family jewels at home? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Better than in public. <laughs> it's, it's very true. In public, is it seems inappropriate and dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a good way to lose your jewels. <laughs> or get arrested for your jewels. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know. What are you going to do? Un moment. Uh, how do you say moment in French? I just went super Italian. Un momento. I like it. We'll, we'll just, we'll, un momento. Oh, God. Poirot is trilingual. He speaks <laughs> French, English, and Italian. Oh, you know he does. Un momento. Un momento. Interrupted Poirot. Who had charge of the jewels, your daughter or the maid? Mm. My daughter always took charge of them herself, carrying them in a small blue Morocco case. Continue, monsieur. At Bristol, the maid, Jane Mason, collected her mistress's dressing bag and wraps, which were with her, and came to the door of Flossie's compartment. To her intense surprise, my daughter told her she was not going to be getting out at Bristol, but was going on further. She directed Mason to get out the luggage and put it in the cloakroom. She could have tea in the refreshment room, but she was to wait at the station for her mistress, who would return to Bristol by an up train in the course of the afternoon. The maid, although very much astonished, did as she was told. She put the luggage in the cloakroom and had some tea. But up train after up train came in and her mistress did not appear. He has slowly gone from Texas to like southern uh, he's gone very Dubois. He's gone very tidal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, well. He is a, a... He's become Big Daddy. A hair's a, a breath, uh, uh, an angel's breath away from... Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, yeah, fo yeah. Which I would cast in this role. He sounds yeah. like kind of this guy. I would also cast Foghorn as Big Bach. Daddy. I would also cast Foghorn Leghorn as Big Daddy in, in a Hanna Barbera in, version. in the Looney Tunes the Looney version of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. 
Hey, y'all, Looney Tunes, if you're listening. Foghorn Leghorn is Big Daddy. Uh, Lola Bunny is uh, Maggie. Is Maggie. Um, Bugs Bunny is Brick. Yeah. Um, there aren't a lot of female Looney Tunes. No. For Big Mama. I'm trying to think. Elmer Fudd? <laughs> In drag. In drag. Love it. <laughs> that play would take forever because it'd be stuttered the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Wow. That was some real good narrow casting right there. Yeah. For our one listener who is both a fan of Tennessee Williams and Looney Tunes. That was just the most interesting thing we've ever done. Um, If you're not a fan of both of those, I highly encourage you to check them out. Anyway, after the arrival of the last train, she left the luggage where it was and went to a hotel near the station for the night. This morning, she read of the tragedy and returned to town by the first available train. Is there nothing to account for your daughter's sudden change of plan? Well, there is this. According to Jane Mason at Bristol, Flossie was no longer alone in her carriage. There was a man in it who stood looking out of the farther window so that she could not see his face. The train was a corridor one, of course. Yes. Which side of the corridor? On the platform side. My daughter was standing in the corridor as she talked to Mason. There is no doubt in your mind. Excuse me. He got up and carefully straightened the inkstand, which was a little askew. Je vous demande pardon. Please beg my pardon. I, I, uh, you must forgive me. You must, yeah, beg my, begging your pardon. He continued, reseating himself. It, it affects my nerves to see anything crooked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, OCD. Yes. Poirot, your OCD he, is showing. He is so OCD, and I love it. <laughs> It affects my nerves to see anything crooked. Strange, is it not? I was saying, monsieur, that there is no doubt in your mind as to this probably unexpected meeting being the cause of your daughter's sudden change of plan. It seems the only reasonable supposition. You have no idea as to who the gentleman in question might be? The millionaire hesitated for a moment and then replied, No, I do not know at all. Now, as to the discovery of the body. It was discovered by a young naval officer who at once gave the alarm. There was a doctor on the train. He examined the body. She had been first chloroformed and then stabbed. He gave it as his opinion that she had been dead for about four hours, so it must have been done not long after leaving Bristol, probably between there and Weston, possibly between Weston and Taunton. And the jewel case... The jewel case, Monsieur Poirot, was missing. Uh, one more thing, Monsieur. Your daughter's fortune. To whom does it pass at her death? Flossie made a will soon after her marriage, leaving everything to her husband. He hesitated for a moment and then went on. I may as well tell you, Monsieur Poirot, that I regard my son-in-law as an unprincipled scoundrel and that by my advice my daughter was on the eve of freeing herself by him by legal means no difficult matter i settled her money upon her in such a way that he could not touch it during her lifetime but although they have lived entirely apart for some years she has frequently acceded to his demands for money rather than face an open scandal 
However, I was determined to put an end to this, and at last Flossie agreed, and my lawyers were instructed to take proceedings. All right, I'm going to amend my previous theory for an even wilder theory. Oh, love it, love it, love it. The dead body Mm -hmm. is her husband, who they dressed up in drag (laughs) and murdered in order to get her away from him. There was no maid. Oh, he's part of it. Dad is part of it. Dad is part of of the plan. There was no maid. Okay. She just moved all of her stuff into the maid's apartment in order to get away from her apartment where she had just murdered her now done up in drag husband. Scoundrel husband. And the doctor was also paid off. I haven't decided which character he is. The doctor is dad in a costume. I don't know. <laughs> there was a maid. The doctor is the, is maid, the maid in a costume. Up. Yes. Okay. Cool. Everyone's in costumes. So we just played three card Monty. Love it. Love Everyone it. Everyone shuffled over and now there is a dead man in a wig in a morgue somewhere. <laughs> dead man in a wig? Who has been falsely identified as That was a weird Flossie autopsy. Halliday. So the autopsy person has also been like, has been. Uh, the autopsy person was chloroformed. Oh, got it. Okay. 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 All right, let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay, so Daddy uh, got her to basically sign the money away from her husband or had at least convinced her. Yes. We don't know if it's happened yet. Okay. And where is Monsieur Carrington? In town. I believe he was away in the country yesterday, but he returned last night. Poirot considered a little while, and he said, I think that is all, Monsieur. Uh, would you like to see the maid, Jane Mason? If you please. Halliday rang the bell and gave a short order to the footman. A few minutes later, Jane Mason entered the room, a respectable, hard-featured woman, as emotionless in the face of tragedy as only a good servant can be. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's like, oh my God, we serve rich people. We see this shit all the time. They're always dying. They're always or, dying and being dramatic or, or and losing their jewels and going to balls. and Killing us and making us pretend making to us, be them. Oh, man. <laughs> you will permit me to put a few questions. Your mistress, she was quite as usual before starting yesterday morning. Not excited or flurried. Oh, no, sir. Apparently, she's British. Great. <laughs> Cool. Well, she's she has to put on a British accent to disguise the fact that she's the dead daughter. <laughs> but at Bristol, she was quite different. Yes, sir. Regular upset. So nervous that she didn't seem to know what she was saying. What did she say exactly? Well, sir, as near as I can remember, she said, Mason, I've got to alter my plans. Something has happened. I, I mean, I'm not getting out here after all. I must go on. Get out the luggage and put it in the cloakroom, and then have some tea and wait for me in the station. Wait for you here, ma'am? I asked. Yes, yes, don't leave the station. I shall return by a later train. I don't know when. I mayn't be in... It mayn't be until quite late. Very well, ma'am, I says. Oh, no, she's definitely cockney. (laughs) Anyway, it... (laughs) Too late. I've made my choice. It wasn't my place to ask questions, but I thought it very strange. It was unlike your mistress, eh? Very unlike her, sir. What do you think? Well, sir, I I thought it was to do with the gentleman in the carriage. 
She didn't speak to him, but she turned round once or twice as though to ask him if she was doing it right. But you didn't see the gentleman's face? No, sir. He stood with his back to me all the time. Can you describe him at all? He had a light fawn overcoat and a travelling cap. He was tall and slender, like, and the back of his head was dark. You didn't know him? Oh, no, I, I don't think so, sir. It was not your master, Mr. Carrington, by any chance. Mason looked rather startled. Oh, I don't think so, sir. But you are not sure? It was about the master's build, sir, but I, I never thought of it being him. We so seldom saw him. I, I couldn't say it wasn't him. Poirot picked up a pin from the carpet and frowned at it severely. <laughs> then he continued, Would it be possible for the man to have entered the train at Bristol before you reached the carriage? Mason considered. Yes, sir, I, I think it would. My compartment was very crowded, and it was some minutes before I could get out, and then there was a very large crowd on the platform, and that delayed me too. But he'd only have a minute or two to speak to the mistress that way, so I took it for granted that he'd come along the corridor. That is more probable, certainly. He paused, still frowning. You know how the mistress was dressed, sir? The papers gave a few details, but I would like for you to confirm them. Uh, she was wearing a white fox fur toque. What's a toque? <laughs> toque. Toque. A hat. It's a hat. Lovely. She was wearing a white fox fur toque, sir, with a white spotted veil and a blue frise coat and skirt. Uh, the shade of blue they call electric. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> electric, it's electric blue. blue. <laughs> hmm. Rather striking. Yes, remarked Holliday. Inspector Jap is in hopes that he may help us to fix the spot where the crime took place. Anyone who saw her would remember her. Precisement. Thank you, mademoiselle. And the maid left the room. Well, Poirot got up briskly. That is all I can do here, except, monsieur, that I would ask you to tell me everything, but everything. I have done so. <laughs> Are you sure? I say, I say, I, I say, have I done say, so. I have, sir. <laughs> Are you sure? Absolutely. Then there is nothing more to be said. I must decline the case. Why? Because you have not been frank with me. I assure you, you know, you are keeping something back. There was a moment's pause, and then Halliday drew a paper from his pocket and handed it to my friend. I guess that's what you're after, Monsieur Poirot. Though how you know about it fairly gets my goat. <laughs> because someone's always withholding information. Well, yes, and he can tell because he's Poirot. Poirot smiled and unfolded the paper. It was a letter written in thin, sloping handwriting. Poirot let it. Poirot read it aloud. Cher Madame. It is with infinite pleasure that I look forward to the felicity of meeting you again. After your so amiable reply to my letter, I can hardly restrain my impatience. I have never forgotten those days in Paris. It is most cruel that you should be leaving London tomorrow. However, before very long, and perhaps sooner than you think, I shall have the joy of beholding once more the lady whose image has ever reigned supreme in my heart. Believe... 
Chez Madame. Cher Madame? Cher. Cher Madame. All the assurances of my most devoted and unaltered sentiments, Armand de la Rochefort. Uh-oh. All right. All right, scoundrel. Poirot handed the letter back to Halliday with a bow. I fancy, monsieur, that you did not know that your daughter intended renewing her acquaintance with the Count de la Rochefort. It came as a thunderbolt to me. I found this letter in my daughter's handbag. As you probably know, Monsieur Poirot, this so-called count is an adventurer of the worst type. Poirot nodded. But what I want to know is how you knew of the existence of this letter. My friend smiled. Monsieur, I did not, but to track footmarks and recognize cigarette ash is not sufficient for a detective. He must also be a good psychologist. I knew that you disliked and mistrusted your son-in-law. His benefits by your daughter's death, the maid's description of the mysterious man, bears a sufficient resemblance to him, yet you are not keen on his track. Why? Surely because your suspicions lie in another direction. Therefore, you were keeping something back. You're right, Monsieur Poirot. I was sure of Rupert's guilt until I found this letter. It unsettled me horribly. Yes, the Count says, before very long and perhaps sooner than you think. Perhaps he would not want to wait until you should get wind of his reappearance. Was it he who travelled down from London by the 1214 and came along the corridor to your daughter's compartment? The Count de la Rochefort is also, if I remembered right, tall and dark. The millionaire nodded. Well, monsieur... I will wish you a good day. Scotland Yard has, I presume, a list of the jewels. Yes, I believe Inspector Jap is here now if you'd like to see him. Jap was an old friend of ours and greeted Poirot with a sort of affectionate contempt. <laughs> and how are you, monsieur? Not bad feeling between us, though we have got our different ways of looking at things. How are the little grey cells, eh? Going strong? Poirot beamed upon him. They function, my good chap. Assuredly, they do. Then that's all right. Think it was the Honorable Rupert or Crook. We're keeping an eye on all the regular places, of course. We shall know if the shiners are disposed of, and of course, whoever did it isn't going to keep them to admire their sparkle. <laughs> Not likely. I'm trying to find out where Rupert Carrington was yesterday. Seems a bit of a mystery about it. I've got a man watching him. A great precaution, but perhaps a day late, suggested Poirot gently. You always will have your joke, Monsieur Poirot. Well, I'm off to Paddington, Bristol, Weston, Taunton. That's my beat. So long. You will come round to see me this evening and tell me of the result? Sure thing, if I'm back. That good inspector believes in matter of motion, murmured Poirot as our friend departed. He travels, he measures footprints, he collects mud and cigarette ash. He is extremely busy. He is zealous beyond words. And if I mention psychology to him, do you know what he would do, my friend? He would smile. He would say to himself, Poor old Poirot, he ages, he grows senile. Jap is the younger generation knocking on the door, and ma foi, they are so busy knocking that they do not notice that the door is open. <laughs> <laughs> Kids. Kids these days. What's the matter with kids today? And what are you going to do? 
As we have carte blanche, I shall expend three pence in ringing up the Ritz, where you may have noticed our count is staying. After that, as my feet are a little damp, I have sneezed twice, I shall return to my rooms and make myself a tinsano over the spirit lamp. Is that like a tea? Some tea, yeah. I did not see Poirot again until the following morning. I found him placidly finishing his breakfast. Well, I inquired eagerly, what has happened? Nothing. But Jap? I have not seen him. The Count. He left the Ritz the day before yesterday. The day of the murder? Yes. Then that settles it. Rupert Carrington is cleared. Because the Count de Rochefort has left the Ritz, you go too fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he must be followed, arrested, but, 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 but what could be his motive? $100,000 worth of jewelry is a very good motive for anyone. No, the question to my mind is, why kill her? Why not simply steal the jewels? She would not prosecute. Why not? Because she is a woman, mon ami. She once loved this man. Therefore, she would suffer her loss in silence. And the Count, who is an extremely good psychologist where women are concerned, hence his successes, would know that perfectly well. On the other hand, if Rupert Carrington killed her, why take the jewels? Which would incriminate him fatally. As a blind? Perhaps you are right, my friend. Ah, here is Jap. I recognize his knock. <laughs> <laughs> the inspector was beaming good humor humoredly. <clears throat> yeah, he he'd just gotten an ice cream bar from the good humor man. And tickled Which and which made him happy. He's happy. Yeah. He he got tickled while he was eating good humor ice cream. The good humor man really shouldn't be going around tickling <laughs> the people he sells ice cream to. Um, Fairly certain that's illegal. Well, Jap's an adult. <laughs> Maybe he paid extra for a I little. I don't know. He's one of the young ones, remember? A little tickle. Jap paid for a little extra tickle. Morning, Poirot. Only just got back. I've done some good work. And you? Me, I have arranged my ideas, replied Poirot placidly. Jap laughed heartily. Old chap's getting on in years, he observed beneath his breath to me. That won't do for us young folk, he said aloud. Que dommage? Poirot inquired. Like, what's the damage? Yeah. What's Okay. Well, do you want to hear what I've done? You permit me to take a guess. You have found the knife in which the crime was committed by the side of the line between Weston and Taunton, and you have interviewed the paper boy who spoke to Mrs. Carrington at Weston. Jap's jaw fell. <laughs> How on earth did you know? Oh, don't tell me it was those almighty little gray cells of yours. I'm glad you admit for once that they are almighty. <laughs> tell me, did she give the paper boy a shilling for himself? No, it was half a crown. Jap recovered his temper and grinned. Pretty extravagant, these rich <laughs> Americans. And in consequence, the boy did not forget her. Not he. Half crowns don't come his way every day. She hailed him and bought two magazines. One had a picture of a girl in blue on the cover. That'll match me, she said. Oh, he remembered her perfectly. Well, that was enough for me. By the doctor's evidence, the crime must have been committed before Taunton. I guessed they'd throw the knife away at once and walk down the line looking for it, and sure enough, there it was. 
I made inquiries at Taunton about our man, but of course, it's a big station. It was likely that they'd notice him. He'd probably got back to London by a later train. Poirot nodded. Very likely. But I found another bit of news when I got back. They're passing the jewels, all right. That large emerald was pawned last night by one of the regular lot. Who do you think it was? I don't know, except that he was a short man. Jap stared. Well, you're right there. He's short enough. It was Red Narky. <laughs> <laughs> Not Red Narky. That's a hell of a name. <laughs> that is. Who on earth is Red Narky, I asked. <laughs> it's like, not more people. A particularly sharp jewel thief, sir, and not one to slick at murder. No, and not one to stick at murder. Usually works with a woman, Gracie Kid. So they're like uh, uh, um, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Cool. But she doesn't seem to be in it this time unless she's got off to Holland with the rest of the swag. You've arrested Narky? Sure thing, but mind you, it's the other man we want. The man who went down with Mrs. Carrington in the train. Who went down on Mrs. Carrington in the train? <laughs> yeah, apparently that's something you can get arrested for in England, which is rude. Well, I mean, I guess it is a public space. <laughs> it's kind of like playing with your jewels in public. And they killed her afterwards. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't necessarily that act, but it was the thing they did afterwards. Uh, So... He, uh, the man who went down with Mrs. Carrington in the train. He was the one who planned the job right enough, but Narky won't steal. But Narky won't squeal on a pal. I noticed that Poirot's eyes had become very green. I think, he said gently, that I can help find Narky's pal for you, all right? One of your little ideas, eh? Jap eyed Poirot sharply. Wonderful how you manage to deliver the goods sometimes at your age and all. <laughs> Devil's own luck, of course. Perhaps, perhaps, murmured my friend. Hastings, my hat. And the brush. So, my galoshes, if it still rains. We must not undo the good work of that Tinsano. Au revoir, Jap. <laughs> good luck to you, Poirot. Poirot hailed the first taxi we met and directed the driver to Park Lane. When we drew up before Halliday's house, he skipped out nimbly, paid the driver, and rang the bell. To the footman who opened the door, he made a request in a low voice, and we were immediately taken upstairs. We went up to the top of the house and were shown into a small, neat bedroom. Poirot's eyes roved round the room and fastened themselves on a small black trunk. He knelt in front of it, scrutinizing the labels on it, and took a small twist of wire from his pocket. Ask Mr. Halliday if he will be so kind as to mount... To mount to me here? Whoa! What? Oh my God, Poirot! I didn't realize Halliday and Poirot had got along that well. Poirot? You're going to bend over the black trunk and get mounted by Mr. Halliday? Damn! Ask Mr. Halliday if you will be so kind as to mount to me here. <laughs> he said over his shoulder to the footman. All right. Oh, he was just demonstrating the pose. He was just like. Over his shoulder. Over his shoulder like, hey, how you doing? Okay, so then there's a reader's note in this version that says, it is suggested that the reader pause in his perusal of the story at this point, make his own solution to the mystery, and then see how close he comes to that. 
the editors. <laughs> All right. So should should we like should we? All right. Each, quick pause. Okay. So we're each gonna like make our our uh, final assessments here. Great. I'm going to stand by my my prediction okay. that the daughter is not dead. Mm-hmm. Except now, I think that what happened is the daughter has teamed up with Red Narky, and they killed his partner. Gracie. Grace Kelly or whatever Grace her name Kelly. was. Gracie Kid. Gracie Kid. Yeah. Not far. Um and uh And that's who's dead. Gracie Kid. Gracie Kid is the dead body. And then there were probably some other weird switcheroos in there someplace too. And now they are all running off with the Count de la Rochefort to kill D'Artagnan. Okay. And have so- an orgy with Milady de Winter. <laughs> Hot. I'm going to guess something along the lines. So we were introduced to Red Narky late in this story. Mm-hmm. So I do have a feeling he is a big part of this. Okay. A bigger part than we think, maybe. I think Red Narky and Gracie Kid are actually behind all this with Dad. Okay. I think Dad hired them to get the jewels away from his daughter, but things went bad and they had to kill her. Um, ex, like whoopsie, whoops, and whoopsie doodle, whoopsie doodle. Um, so now dad is guilty, is feeling guilty, um, even though he didn't do it and he didn't even hire them to do that. Um, but he wanted to get the jewels away from her so her shitty ex lover couldn't get the jewels. Okay. Um, so I have a feeling, I have a feeling that Red Narky did it, but didn't mean to. <laughs> All right. And none of these other guys have anything to do with it. It's just. All right, so I think dad is kind of the the ultimate. All right, let's All right. here we go. The man departed and Poirot gently coaxed the lock of the trunk with a practiced hand. In a few minutes, the lock gave and he raised the lid of the trunk. Swiftly, he began rummaging among the clothes it contained, flinging them out on the floor. There was a heavy step on the stairs and Halliday entered the room. What the hell are you doing here? He demanded, staring. I was looking, monsieur, for this. Poirot withdrew from the trunk a coat and a skirt of bright blue frise and a small toque of white fox fur. That's what she was wearing. Yep. What are you doing in my trunk? I turned to see the maid, Jane Mason, had just entered the room. Shit, was I oh, right? <laughs> oh, wait. If you, will, if you will just shut the door, Hastings, thank you. Yes. And stand with your back against it. Now, Mr. Halliday, let me introduce you to Gracie. Oh! <laughs> oh, we were both right. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Let me introduce you to Grace Kid, otherwise known as Jane Mason, who will shortly rejoin her accomplice, Red Narky, under the kind escort of Jap. It was the most simple. Poirot waved a deprecating hand, then helped himself to more ca- caviar. Awesome. Where'd he get caviar? Rich guy's house. <laughs> he just, it's also in the bin. He was like, I'll take some of this. This, sound, this sounds delicious. It was not every day that one lunches with a millionaire. <laughs> See, if you just shut yeah, up, there it, it explains. Yep. It was the maid's insistence on the clothes that her mistress was wearing that first struck me. Why was she so anxious that our attention should be directed to them? I reflected that we had only the maid's word for the mysterious man in the carriage at Bristol. As far as the doctor's evidence went, Mrs. Carrington might easily have been murdered before reaching Bristol. So, but if so, then the maid must be an accomplice. 
And if she were an accomplice, she would not wish this point to rest on her evidence alone. The clothes Mrs. Carrington was wearing were of a striking nature. A maid usually has a good deal of choice as to what her mistress shall wear. Now, if... After Bristol, anyone saw a lady in a bright blue coat and skirt and a fur toque, he would be quite ready to swear he had seen Mrs. Carrington. I began to reconstruct. The maid would provide herself with duplicate clothes. She and her accomplice chloroform and stab Mrs. Carrington between London and Bristol, probably taking advantage of a tunnel. Her body is rolled under the seat. The maid takes her place. So, kind of, yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. At Weston, she must make herself noticed. How? In all probability, a newspaper boy will be selected. She will ensure his remembering her by giving him a large tip. She also drew his attention to the color of her dress by remarking about one of the magazines. After leaving Weston, she throws the knife out the window to mark the place where the crime presumably occurred and changes her clothes or buttons a long Macintosh over them. At Taunton, she leaves the train, returns to Bristol as soon as possible, where her accomplice has duly left the luggage in the cloakroom. He hands over the ticket and himself returns to London. She waits on the platform carrying out her role, goes to the hotel for a night and returns to town in the morning exactly as she said. When Jap returned from his expedition, he confirmed all my deductions. So Jap did all the work. Yep. He also told me that a well-known crook was passing the jewels. I knew that whoever it was would be the exact opposite of the man Jane Mason described. When I heard it was Red Narky, who also worked with Gracie Kidd, well, I knew where to find her. And the Count? The more I thought of it, the more I was convinced that he had nothing to do with it. Yay! <laughs> the gentleman is much too careful of his own skin to risk murder. It would be out of keeping with his character. Well, Monsieur Poirot, said Halliday... I owe you a big debt, and the check I write after lunch won't go near to settling it. Poirot smiled modestly and murmured to me, That good Jap, he shall get the official credit, all right. But though he has got his gracie kid, I think that I, as the Americans say, have got his goat. <laughs> the end. Ta-da! Ta-da! So we both kind of were right. <laughs> I mean, I was right in the sense of I don't think I got any single detail right. <laughs> I was right in the fact that I thought Gracie Kid killed, that she killed her. So, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like, I, I thought that they accidentally, like it went wrong. Right. I thought dad was involved. Right. He was not. Yeah. So it was just too, like she basically got targeted by... Petty thieves yeah, who knew she, she carries. She got, that's why you don't carry millions of dollars of jewels with you at all times. Yeah. That's just asking for snarky, pe snarky people? For narky. sneaky, narky people. Hey, for narky people to come after you on a train and kill you. That sucks. Yeah. Well, but, oh, and Gracie Kidd had, plant, had been planted as her maid. So she, they'd been trolling her for a while. They, yeah, they'd they'd been on it for a while. It they, wasn't it wasn't a chance mugging. No, it was a plan. That was very much a planned yeah. situation. Well, 
All right. That was a um, a wake up to my senses of uh, dialect work that I have not been doing for a very long time. Welcome back to the podcast. Wow. My mouth hurts. <laughs> <laughs> my mouth hurts. My soul hurts. And I hope you enjoyed that story. <laughs> so what did you think, listener? Did you enjoy that one? Um, were your predictions any more accurate than ours were? Yeah. I can promise you they weren't less accurate than mine. There you go. Um, you probably did better than Ken. Yep. <laughs> Who Mike dropped himself during this episode. I did. I also, I feel like my predictions got, I, I think I made three significant predictions. And, and they, they got, got less, they got more, further, they got less accurate. They yeah. got further and further away from the truth. Now to the, be fair. The, the more information I got. To be fair, that's something you like to do. You like to get more and more redonkulous as you go Wildly speculate, Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get around to to officially announcing my prediction that um, it was the master. The master? Yeah. Who's the master? From Doctor Who. Oh. It was Doctor Strange the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It was me, Doctor Evil. Oh, uh, one $69 billion. (laughs) $69 billion. Well, that was that was fun. Um, I had a little kava. I had a little, uh, a little, uh, um, mouth aerobics and, uh, I'm feeling good. All right. Uh, so, hey, listeners, thank you so much for joining us, uh, on this wild and crazy journey that has been 100 episodes. 100 episodes. We are officially ready for syndication. Yes, any anyone who wants to uh, um, give us some money, you know, yeah. feel free anytime. Apparently, that's part of the reason in television that a hundred episodes is such a big deal is because it was one of the first things that was benchmarked as like, if you make it to a hundred episodes, we'll pick up the show for syndication, so we can run it continuously. Be- because yeah. what it meant is they could do, um, they could do a new episode every night, Monday through Friday, in reruns, and run it for like. A full season, yeah, run it for, for a like full half season. the year. Yeah. yeah. So they wouldn't have to worry about like, oh, we just saw this episode yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, syndication. Uh, any anybody out there wanna wanna pick us up? I'll work on my dialects, promise. <laughs> or that may be or, one of the best parts of this podcast is I'm not or, good or, at or them. Or she won't. Or I won't. I'll do whatever you tell me if you give me sixty nine billion dollars. <laughs> so that's the price, huh? 69 billion, apparently, yes. All right, cool. So uh, uh, Google Podcast or uh, any of those places, if you want to pick up the the podcast, $69 billion. Richard Branson. Richard Branson. If you're uh, listening. Um, uh, Elon Musk. No, he doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> That's true. That he lost He lost <laughs> it. Um, who else is shitty out there? Um, let's see. <laughs> Most of them. Most of them. Most of them. I'll take their money and use it for good. Cool. Um, so listeners, let us know what you thought about that one. Um, please, uh, reach out, message us, uh, either on any of the social medias, which Heather will be taking over from now on. So she'll probably be better at it than I was. Um, I'll respond. I'll say, Hey, thanks. Or, uh, or shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this story. Let us know what you would do for $69 billion. And I would do pretty much anything for six. And <laughs> I mean, while you're uh, while you're doing, well, you could also let us know what you would do for sixty nine dollars. Huh? 
just because I feel like that's 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 a more interesting question. What would you do for sixty nine dollars? Yum. (laughs) That's a different commercial. That's a very different commercial. Is it is it something yummy? Would you do something yummy for sixty nine dollars? I can think of a few things I do for six <laughs> that involve yumminess. Um, and uh, yeah, and and when you shoot us that email and that message, please include this week's secret passcode, which is generous tip. Generous tip. Yeah, that's something a lot of people would do for sixty nine dollars. <laughs> would just you a generous tip? Would you do a generous tip for sixty nine dollars? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's all for me. You got, you got anything else before we wrap that's up here? That's it. I'm excited to be back and, uh, I, I love y'all. Follow us on all the social medias and yeah, do reach out. We'll respond or I'll respond or someone will respond. The show will respond. The show will respond. The show must respond. Aww. <laughs> um, and on that note, until next week, uh, this has been Campfire Classics where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Happy birthday to us, happy birthday to us, we're centennials now, happy birthday to us. <laughs> Fortunately, that melody is now in public domain. Ha <laughs> ha!